In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, You who are everywhere present and fill all things, Treasury of all that is good, Master of life, come, dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. We're going to begin reflecting now on chapter 6 of John's Gospel. We've already begun this section. Uh, I want to talk just a bit about that for a moment and then talk about what liturgy is among God's people. See, it's always memory, anamnesis. And I want to try to describe some of that. Um, You see, from chapter 5 down uh, to the end of chapter 10, John dedicates to showing how Jesus fulfills, brings to a higher level, the Jewish feasts. So for him, liturgy is extremely important. You see, it's not just we read the Bible and we do liturgy. Liturgy is the place where God's acts are remembered in another way, through gesture, through song, through the Word of God, being there. And so it's extremely important that we begin to understand this as little as we can, at least, as most as we can. We begin by thinking about the scandal of the particular. What do I mean? You see, God, in the law of the Incarnation, see, which begins at least with the choice of Abraham, is acting somewhere in a way he's not acting anywhere else. It's so hard for most of our contemporaries to get it. See, transcendent just doesn't mean way up there. It means special here. For instance, this is part of our whole experience, right? At Mass, for us Catholics, here it is. And Jesus Christ is here in this bread and wine. Jesus Christ, the one who is in glory, surrounded by angels and saints who love him, worship him, adore him, He's here. And that bread and wine over on the table, he's not there. That's the scandal of the particular. You see, God acts. At Lourdes, and Mejigoria, and plenty of places, God heals. But he doesn't heal 20 miles down the street in the same way. In other words, there is an economy of the, res- of the incarnation. And it begins with the call of Abraham. Because with the call of Abraham begins the formation of a people. The people who are set free at the Exodus are the children of Abraham. They are the twelve tribes, you know, the twelve sons of Jacob. But Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so Abraham is, that's why he's the father of many nations. All of our theology, all of our liturgy, is grounded on this one fact, which you might call the economy or the working out 
of the Incarnation. Why? Because one human being is going to be divine. One. That changes everything. God is that present so that God can act here and not there. God can consecrate this and not that. That notion is very difficult to grasp, especially when the liturgy can be dull, scriptures are not understood, the practice is not great, so here we are trying to grasp this. But we have to, particularly to understand John's Gospel, because the bulk, there are 21 chapters in John, 5 to 10, that block right in the middle is all about liturgy. Every feast day is there. I have a list here somewhere for you. Uh, it's right in front of me. Um, chapter 5 is Shabbat. Shabbat was mentioned before in chapter 2 when our Lord went down in, uh, no, it doesn't, a yorti, a feast. That's because that's different. That goes from Cana to Cana. Now you set that aside. Now our Lord's back in Jerusalem, you see, and he heals that crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. We just did it last week. And so, boom, he acted. Okay, right after that, um, without saying anything, we have uh, the next uh, sign, you see? Uh, the, the replacement of the feast, Jesus, the new Moses, replaces the Shabbat. That's chapter 5. That's why it takes so long to get through it. The Father works until now, and I work. We both can work on the Shabbat because I'm equal to the Father. So that's a different kind of Sabbath. Do you see how much we have to appreciate Sabbath? Shabbat, Sabbath? You see? The sun, you know, the, the, the weeks, the days, I'm sorry, not the weeks, the days, the months, the years, they're all measured by the cosmos. The way the sun turns around, the stars, the moon, all of that is measured by this material universe, right? But Sabbath is measured by the Word of God. You shall take the seventh day and do this with it. It's not measured by the cosmos at all. It's the Word of God interrupting that flow to establish already the scandal of the particular. For instance, if you've ever been to a Seder supper, you know, at Easter time, we, in our observance of it, we have this thing, see? The youngest says, why is this day different than all other days? It is different. It's different, not only like 4th of July is different from the 2nd and the 5th. No, you see, it's different because it's of another order. This is the day God freed our people. So then you can commemorate those days, and that's liturgy. But what does commemorate mean? It means remember. To remember vividly means to have the reality of what God has done so present that I'm different. Then I can say I remember. I just I call it to mind, sure. Today is Christmas. Then I go fight with somebody. I didn't remember. See, to remember is to have 
God's act so present to you that you're different. That's to remember. That's why God can say at times, Shakachta, you forgot. It doesn't mean it slipped your mind. It means you don't act any differently than people who don't know what I've done for them. That's what it means to remember. And so there are feast days. Now the historians can tell us that most of these were uh, harvest feasts or centered around the harvest, but they were lifted up to commemorate God's acts in the same way that sexuality was brought up into the plan of God. It's not just a cosmic physical function. It was the Hebrews who demythologized sex and made it a beautiful human reality, part of God's plan. Not just this cosmos stuff. Because you see, without an understanding of transcendence, the whole thing, you see, is just... We're at the bottom of the pile. As the ancients saw it, you see the gods, the forces, the demons, whatever they are, they run most of this universe, which is a closed system. We're at the bottom. We have to be nice to everybody else, the gods and the demons both, by offering them a cult and, you know, uh, and making believe. We put food in front of the gods. They're not going to eat it. There are no gods. This is why Paul says, if it doesn't bother your conscience, and they've offered that stuff in the temple, now they're going to sell because the gods don't eat it. There are no gods. Then they're going to sell it in the grocery store. You can buy it. There are no gods. If it bothers your conscience, don't. If you're still nervous, you know. But there are no gods. There's only God. And if you bless it, eat it. You see? But, so, there's all this offering the gods worship. And, in fact, there are prayers. Uh, I think they're Sumerian. You warn the God, you don't come through. I won't pray to you anymore. And a God without a suppliant is no God at all. Am I making myself clear? Do you see the difference that biblical religion, the call of Abraham makes? God chose Abraham in a way he didn't choose Lot, who's related to him, so he's part of the people. God chose Abraham, and that was the beginning of the people. God chose the Jewish people and made a covenant with them, which, as John Paul II said, has never been revoked. It's been raised to a higher level, but it's never been revoked. This is why Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant, the one that Jeremiah promised. But it's a new covenant. It's not something else. So you see, we don't measure time by the sun, the moon, the stars, and all that, all the cyclical movements of the universe, as everybody does who doesn't know God. We measure it by observing God's action. Of course, we're going to have Monday to Friday, take the weekend off. We're not that spiritual. But, you see, it's different. So, what John does with these feasts, and we'll be back much more to this, you see, this presence, I want to say just a few words. It's linked to a word, kavod, God uh, revealing his glory. It's kavod. When the Jews gathered to pray, the kavod was there. The kavod 
I have plenty of descriptions of it here. I'm going to read one for you, uh, and that may be as far as we go. But I want to come back to this from time to time as we do chapters 5 to 10, which is going to take us a while, but so that we see that in John's mind, Jesus fulfills all the feast days. I want to tell you one thing that's going to come back. St. Thomas is talking about this. And he says, you know, uh, what happened to these feast days? This is what Thomas says. Those who approached them with faith were approaching the image of what was to come. That is, the Christian liturgy, which is the liturgy, the Eucharistic liturgy, and everything that centers around it. Now, as Aristotle said, if you move toward the image, you move toward what is imaged. Therefore, though they weren't aware of it, they were moving toward Christ, his death and resurrection. And therefore, and he says this, they live by this, they lived by the same grace we do. There are three stages to history. You see, there's the stage of the uh, shadow. This is Hebrews 10.1. The shadow, or scale, the law having a sketch of the good things to come. Sketch. Not the very icon. That's us. Why? Because it's the icon is the reality, present, but not under the mode of presence that belongs to it naturally. The Eucharist. That's Jesus. In all his glory, surrounded by angels and saints. Every liturgy, there's angels there by the thousands. That's Jesus there, but not in the mode of existence proper to him, which is his glorious and radiant body. Our new covenant, you see, is the icon, and we're awaiting the fulfillment. And so our liturgy picks up from here, raises it to a level, and prepares us for another level. 